Hello and Happy New Year, New York Giants fans. Welcome to your Valentine's Views podcast for Monday, the first one of 2024. And uh, we're here to discuss the Giants' 26-25 loss on Sunday to the Los Angeles Rams, a game that that the Giants probably could have won, but really kind of shot themselves in the foot. And they're here to help me uh, help me discuss the uh, the game and the season. As always, is Tony Del Genio of Big Blue View. Happy New Year, Tony. How are you? I'm good. At Happy New Year to you and everyone listening. Stay up and watch the ball drop last night. Yeah, I stayed up. Which uh, kind of, I guess, uh, symbolic of of what the Giants did yesterday. They dropped a lot of balls and dropped a game. They probably should have won. <laughs> yeah, really. I, I, I'm not sure the Giants deserve to win that game, but they sure had chances to win it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they didn't deserve to win the game, but they most certainly, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda won the game if, uh, if a lot of things had had turned out differently. I, as I started writing my my post game column last night, I was thinking about, you know writing a column basically you know saying how it was sort of uh sort of symbolic of the way the season has gone for the Giants you know a lot of things that that didn't turn out the way they could have or should have a, a lot of opportunities to to make things happen that just didn't happen and as I started going back through the, the my notes and the game book I was like there's there's even more examples here than I thought penalties Missed tackles, five or six dropped passes, misses by Tyrod Taylor. It was just, you know, missed extra point by Mason Crosby. Play calls that backfired. I thought the last sequence of of play calls after Tyrod Taylor's scramble was a little bit mismanaged, but just so many opportunities for things to turn out differently. And, And yet it wind up, wound up being a, a kind of a microcosm of how a team winds up being five and 11. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good uh, description of, of yesterday and the season, right? The giants had chances to win a number of games. I mean, I think, you know, you, you, we saw early on that they weren't going to be as good as last year's team, but still they had chances to win probably two or three other games that they wound up uh, losing this year and uh and certainly yesterday yesterday was was one of them and uh that's just the kind of season this has been absolutely and and of course i guess to put a ribbon on it you know tyree phillips gets hurt sort of another offensive lineman you know down for the count sounds like a bad injury for phillips sounds like a torn quad Mm -hmm. he was on crutches in the locker room after the game with a basically a a hip to ankle brace on that on that leg so uh so that that's not a good injury for Phillips and that's going to be a long recovery for him yeah and you wonder whether he'd even be ready by next season or not because uh the Giants have nothing but questions at right tackle at the moment yeah they have nothing but questions across that offensive line but Tony it was just you know I looked at it last night penalties in the fourth quarter that negated plays how does Jalen Hyatt run a pass route on on a fourth and one 
where he catches, you know, he's running a drag route, which is a two or three yard route. But how does he run a, a drag route across the line and and wind up catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage? Uh, I'll never know. Um, just so many examples that that lead to, you know, a season gone wrong for the Giants. So really uh, just the kind of year it's been. Yeah, and uh, it, it was a pretty frustrating game to watch. It was an exciting game. Absolutely. It was and, fun to watch. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I thought a third early on in the game, it, it looked like it was in danger of one that was going to get away from them because the, the Rams just kind of methodically marched down the field and uh, and scored uh, not the first time they had the ball. They uh, they lost the ball on on downs after the, the second consecutive uh, – uh, challenge by by Brian Dable, but but it looked like the Rams' offense was able to just kind of methodically move the Giants downfield, and they could kind of do whatever they want, uh, even though it took time. And I said oh, this could be a long afternoon, but really the Giants were very competitive in this game and had plenty of chances to win. Well, one of the reasons they were competitive is they got turnovers from the Rams, which. That's how they won during their three-game winning streak. And, it, you know, Dane Belton, we'll start there. Dane Belton, his best game in the NFL. And, you know, you don't – you never anoint a guy after one game because there's been a lot of other evidence, you know, of, of Belton, you know, really not taking advantage of an opportunity. Fourth-round pick, you know, a year ago. But – Last night was very encouraging for Belton. What did he have? Two interceptions after Matthew Stafford had not thrown an interception for four games. Two interceptions, couple passes defense, a fumble recovery. Mm-hmm. Really impressive performance. You know, and maybe, just maybe, Dane Belton is is showing us that he can still become the player that the Giants thought he would be when they drafted him a year ago. Yeah, and that's that's a potentially exciting thing. I mean, you don't want to to emphasize turnovers too much, but you don't want to emphasize them too little either. And the Giants have been a team now for a a season and a half that does not get turnovers and uh, fumble recoveries occasionally, but rarely interceptions in this and in this last half of the season if there's one thing that that has happened that's a, a positive note is that they've they've really become a turnover generating machine on defense and so uh that's that's a, a good thing uh, going forward if they can maintain it but i think the question for dane belton is can he make enough plays when he's not intercepting the ball to to warrant staying on the field can he be somebody that actually prevents passes from being completed and uh you know he did that yesterday a couple of times and so uh, you know there would be a nice thing to hope for if they uh if they have uh both uh him and uh jason pinnock uh then then they're uh, in in you know good shape at that position going forward but uh i guess you know we, we have to see over time whether belton could do it i guess he'll get another chance i think because pinnock was hurt yesterday i believe right and right so, uh, so we may see him again against the eagles next week absolutely and you know we'll talk a little bit later on about offseason and players that that might move on from the giants but we don't know what's going to happen with xavier mckinney so 
you could be in a situation next year where where uh, Jason Pinnock and Dane Belton are your starting safeties for the Giants. So yesterday was definitely encouraging if you think that Belton will have to play a bigger role going forward. Let's uh, Tony, I wanted to talk about the game that Tyrod Taylor played last night and obviously I do kudos and wet willies and 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 we have the middle ground of what we affectionately call the quilly sort of half kudos half wet willy the guy who basically helped both teams you know during the game and and before i had even written the kudos and, and wet willies last night a discussion broke out in our in our chat room about guys who deserved you know what what categories they should fall in and and i think it was chris flum who 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 basically put the idea out there that that uh, Tyrod's game was really the perfect Quilly, perfect definition of a Quilly. 319 yards, the most beautiful 80-yard touchdown pass that, that you'll ever see. And, and it was funny because in the middle of a conversation, I asked Taylor last night if it was the best ball he had ever thrown. And he said no. But he said it was probably it might have been the farthest. And in fact, he was like, I he's like, I would love to know exactly how far the ball traveled in the air. And so if you I, count, yeah, go I, ahead. I heard 61 yards. I counted yard markers. I counted yard markers and I came up with 62. So it's it's 60 plus because it looks like he's throwing it at the 13 and Slayton catches it at the opposite 25 mm -hmm. so depending on you know so it's 61 or 62 yards and amazingly Slayton catches that ball in stride you know and Tyrod ran for 40 yards he made some other big throws and yet along the way Tyrod Taylor showed everyone why he's in his 13th year in the league and he's never been able to hold a starting job. He admittedly indecisive. He misses what really was a three or four yard shovel to Saquon Barkley for a two point conversion. When he admitted, he's like, I could run for this. I could throw it to Saquon. I'm not sure which one to do. I'll just shovel it. And he threw it two yards behind Saquon into the ground, you know, Amazing how you can miss on that throw and throw a perfect 62-yard pass to Darius Slayton in stride. A couple of other bad plays along the way by Taylor, you know, misses. Even on that last drive, I think he threw one to an open Wandale Robinson. He threw the ball straight into the ground. Um, just he he showed everybody why, you know, he's a backup that teams want but why he's a backup to begin with. Yeah, he's a very frustrating guy to watch. I mean, there's there's no question that that the pass to Slayton was the the most beautiful pass pass play I've seen the Giants complete in years. Uh, you know, he I mean, he's in Justin Herbert territory when we're talking about about arm strength really. I mean, uh, uh yeah, I think uh, if you remember back a couple of years when when Justin Herbert uh played against the Giants in LA and uh just before the half when uh, it looked like the the chargers would probably run out the clock 
he sent uh, they sent Jalen Guyton down the middle and, and Jalen Guyton split the safeties and Justin Herbert uh, passed another ball. I think that was about 60 yards in the air for a touchdown to Guyton just just before the half. And people were, were showing that that replay among season highlights uh, for the rest of of the season. And, and Herbert, I think, throws balls like that. Uh, routinely when when he gets the the chance to do it and uh obviously you know you take you take the pass yesterday and the one the week before to to Slayton that was not as far but was still another beautiful hit him in stride uh pass and it's obvious that the Tyra Taylor has the 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 arm strength that that neither of the other quarterbacks on the Giants do and he's probably got as much arm strength as as any quarterback in the nfl right now i mean close close to it anyway as you say he just does not have the touch on short passes and if you you know you can't always be completing 60 yard bombs uh, all the time i mean if you could football would be easy right you just find a guy with the strongest arm and let him sling it out there and and you just you just you know eat up the field every every time uh but if you can't keep those methodical drives going, you don't wind up putting that many points on the field. And the Rams defense, other than their their pass rush, was was ripe to be taken yesterday because their defensive backs aren't that good this season. And uh, you could have marched up and down the field on them, put 30, 35 points up on the board. But you've got to maintain drives with those short passes to keep drives moving, to, to move the chains and, and get another set of downs. And that's what he does not do well. No, as I said, he just he he shows you why he's he's a backup quarterback and and as you said, it's just it's just very frustrating and you know, Taylor Tom Canavan of the Associated Press asked Tyrod last night. He said, "Do you sit there and wonder how you can throw a perfect pass to Darius Slayton, you know, more than 60 yards in the air that winds up you know, being an 80 yard touchdown. And then you try to throw a two yard pass to Saquon Barkley and, and you can't get it there. Do you wonder how that happens? And Taylor said, you know, he said, that's just how the game is. He said, it's frustrating. He said, that's just how the game is. And what he said about the two point conversion was he admitted being indecisive. He admitted getting outside the pocket and seeing, okay, this play is here. There's no defenders in sight. All right. I can flip this to Saquon and it's two points. I can run this and it's two points. And he wasn't sure which one to do. And he said, indecision in the NFL. He said, nothing good ever happens when you're indecisive. And he was indecisive and nothing good happened. And yeah. it's just, it's just how you miss that play is mystifying. And as I've said, it's kind of a microcosm of, of everything that's that that's gone wrong for the Giants this year. You missed the simplest play you could possibly make that that winds up, you know, costing you a game. Yeah, and 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 maybe you know that's that's the difference between short passes and and long passes is that when you've got a play like the the one he made to Slayton yesterday, there's not a whole lot of thinking to do. You 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 take a look at so what what I think he is good at doing and, and and you know not just the physical part of throwing the ball 60 yards with which not many people can do in this world right uh but but it, it's more than than just getting that ball out there when you throw throw it you have to 
you have to recognize where the receiver is relative to the defensive back. And if you're going to be successful on those plays, you have to, you have to make the decision to throw it before the receiver is actually past the defensive back. You have to, you have to recognize when the, when the receiver is, is let's say even, or just about even with a defensive back and, and has leverage on him and, and you, that, you know, he's going to pass by him and is going to be open. So you have to have that, that anticipation before you, you make the throw. Uh, but on short passes where it's more, the, there's more than, than that one decision, perhaps that, that you're going, that you're going to, you know, you may have several different reads and, and within a few yards of the line of scrimmage, it may not be as easy for you to figure out which guy is going to be open uh, a second later or something like that. And maybe that's where the hesitation comes in from him, the, the indecision that, that causes him to, to make throws that he shouldn't uh, a, a 60 yard throw. You have no choice, but to completely commit to the throw or else, or else you're not making it to begin with the short throws. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have to be in perfect position all the time. You can just flick it out there and maybe that's what happens to him. I don't, I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see next week. I think because I'll be shocked if he doesn't start against the Eagles and um, you know, maybe with two games in a row of him making these beautiful long bombs to, to Slayton, but missing on a number of short passes because yesterday was not the first time he did that numerous times against the Eagles in Philadelphia on Christmas day, where he, he passed short to bar. He passed at Barkley's ankles. He passed at Darren Waller's ankles in that Eagles game. Uh, maybe after a couple of weeks of, of doing that, maybe he'll, you know, something will, will kick in for him. And for that last game, he'll, he'll, he'll finally be more decisive on the short throws because it's a shame because he has so much physical ability. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was a starter for three years with Buffalo early in his career. And uh, he's, he's more than a capable backup. I mean, he's about, he's you know about as good a backup quarterback as you can find, I think in the NFL. So it's really a shame that he can't get that part of his game together, but, but we'll see next week, whether he do, does better or not. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tony, let's talk about, I want to talk about the final drive before we move on to a couple of, of big picture topics for the Giants as they come to the final game of the season. There were a lot of questions for Brian Dayball and questions for players last night about the decision to run the ball on second down. All right, now to, to sort of paint the picture You've got Mason Crosby, 39 years old, kicking in only his second game of the season. Obviously not the leg strength of a healthy Graham Gano. 54 yards is a kick you're comfortable with if it's Graham Gano. You think he's got a, a really good shot at making that kick. 54 yards, you know that it's in, in the MetLife Stadium wins. It's a miracle if, if, if Mason Crosby makes that kick. Tyrod Taylor makes a, a great decision, gets out of the pocket, runs for 31 yards, puts the Giants 
at the Los Angeles 34-yard line. And I think if I look at the game book, I think there were 43 seconds left at that point in time. Giants had no timeouts, so they've got some serious clock management decisions to make. In retrospect, they spiked the ball on first down. I don't think they needed to spike the ball, Tony. I think you can run up there and don't waste a play. Run a play. You run a play. You get up there. You're still going to have 30 seconds left. Spike the ball after you run a play if you if you need to. But run a play and get your five or six yards because let's be real. Mason Crosby said the winds were blowing across MetLife Stadium. Even the kick that he did make, he said he aimed it at the right upright, and that ball was not only short, it finished outside the left upright. So he didn't even hit it. He didn't even hit it far enough to the right. So, but yeah, Lawrence Times said that said that yesterday on on Twitter that that at that end of MetLife you have to aim a field goal toward the toward the right post the way the winds blow which and, is what he did he just yeah. didn't hit it out he just didn't hit it out far enough yeah. i think i think yeah. tynes also said you know crosby's just not familiar enough with the winds there but even 52 yards from the 34 that is very very questionable although crosby insisted he thought he could get it there that's very questionable for crosby at this point in his career to be able to get the ball there in those conditions. Um, but so I, I wasn't sure about the spike. Did you, did you think they, I didn't think they needed to spike the ball there. I thought just run the play. Well, yeah, I mean, I had, I had several issues with, with that sequence. First of all, I agree with you. They did not need to, to spike the ball. On the other hand, you know, this is again, this is the second consecutive week that, a Giants game that they had a chance to win has has ended in somewhat similar fashion because if you remember last week against the Eagles, after after they got down to whatever it was the the twenty eight yard line or or something like that, um, they hit Darren Waller with a pass and 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 Waller was not quick to get up, but also once he did get up, it took the Giants. I think they ran like seventeen seconds off the clock uh before they ran another play and and there was so little time left that they only had one chance to take a shot at the end zone at the end of, end of the game whereas with 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 kind of think better clock management they probably could have had two different shots at the end zone at the at the end of the game last week yesterday uh i agree with you they didn't need to 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 spike the ball but the other thing i would say is that calling a running play rather than a pass play after that is something that I question and, and, and a draw of all running plays. I just don't get that. I think if you have a, a tremendous run blocking offensive line, like let's say the Cleveland Browns do maybe, or the, or, or the, the Philadelphia Eagles have had, I'm not so, so sure this year about the Eagles, but historically they've, they've had a, a good run blocking uh, offensive line. You know, then maybe yeah, you can you can run and get a few yards closer. But but yeah, given the situation, I would have much rather they just tried a uh, a couple of passes to in order to get closer, see if you gain another ten yards and make it a forty something yard field goal instead of a fifty something yard field goal. So I thought they they really botched that. And you know, I think one of the one one of the the overall 
things that has made me and I think lots of Giants fans uncomfortable about this season is that there's a lot of head-scratching play calls by Dable and Kafka in, in, in important game situations this season that I don't think we saw very much of last season. And, and we just wonder, you know, for, for a team that, that wanted to be kind of aggressive offensively, they they don't call plays in a way that 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 befits that and and i guess the only thing i can conclude is that they have very very little confidence in the offense uh that's out there and they're just trying to to avoid terrible things happening and and in so doing they they don't make good things happening in these crucial situations to his credit last night tony brian dable said that he would like to have the call back on the on the draw play to saquon that cost the Giants two yards, and although Mason Crosby said he still thought that was makeable from there, I think we saw from the from the kick itself, which he said he hit really well. If he hit that ball really well, he had no shot of ever making that kick because the ball was the ball was well short, and and it was wide, so he had no shot of make, of making the kick from there. I mean, to his credit, he didn't say this was impossible for me. He said, I thought I could get it there um, and, and all of all of those kinds of things. But the Giants needed more yardage at that point, and, and they just they didn't get it. They wasted a play with the spike. They they wasted a play with the draw play. And, and what I will say when you talk about play calling is – the offensive line has been a mess since week one. And it's very difficult to be a play caller. And it's very difficult to run consistent offense. And when, when your offensive line is such a mess, the Giants gave up six more sacks yesterday, 83 now for the season. Stop and think about this number, 83 for the season. And the stat that I saw over two years, the two previous years, Daniel Jones had been sacked 87 times total. And the offensive line was thought to be awful in those two years. And this year, with one game to go, you might surpass that number. It Six sacks yesterday, and it probably could have been 9 or 10 without the escapability of Tyrod Taylor. Run blocking that leads to way too many plays where Saquon Barkley's hit behind the line of scrimmage. People wanted me to give Saquon Barkley a wet willy in my kudos and wet willies last night. And maybe I could have because he did drop two balls that where he did have some space to run. But I'm not holding 12 carries for 39 yards against Saquon Barkley. There's no place for him to go. When when he's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage, when he's getting hammered at the line of scrimmage, there's there's no place for him to go most of the time. So I, I'm not holding I'm not holding his his low rushing total against him at all. Yeah, I agree with that completely. He he has he has no place to to run as a giant on on a lot of the plays, and and you know they're lucky when he gets a couple of yards. Uh, sometimes, and you know, you watch the holes that other teams open up for their running backs, and it's just, uh, it's just, you know, forget about. It. I mean, you look at what the Rams did yesterday with with Kyron Williams, and, and you know, and the Rams are 
are not a, not a perfect, but a pretty good lesson for the Giants because they they have for years had a, a a good offensive line, but but around the time they won that Super Bowl, their offensive line started to age out. Andrew Whitworth retired, and last season, the Rams' offensive line was just a complete mess, and that was one of the reasons that they went from winning the Super Bowl to being five and twelve last season, which, you know, increasingly it looks like that's where the Giants might wind up uh, as well this season. But but their offensive line was an absolute mess last season, and they wound up uh, drafting uh, Steve Avila, a guard in the second round. They made a trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers to bring in a, another offensive lineman, I think, for, for, a, for a third round pick, if I remember it correctly. And, uh, and then they had a competition between a couple of other new guys they brought in and wound up uh, starting an undrafted free agent on that offensive line. And all of a sudden that offensive line, which was terrible in 2022 is pretty good in, in 2023, giving Stafford more time to throw. Although, although yesterday you wouldn't have known that because I think, I think, you know, Wink Martindale's uh, blitzes and things like that, uh, actually were pretty effective after about the first quarter uh, in, in getting pressure on, on Stafford. But, but the Rams more or less rebuilt their, their entire offensive line in one off season. And so it's possible to do it's, you know, and I think that's the thing that, that, that really makes Giants fans scratch their heads is like, how difficult can it be to get a functioning offensive line? And we're talking about basically a decade where the Giants have hardly ever had that. Tony, that sort of leads me into another topic, maybe the the final sort of big topic that we'll talk about, and that is really sort of turning the page toward the long term. This one game left against the Eagles, and 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 it would be kind of nice to to beat the Eagles and and deny them the NFC's title, which which they may not win anyway, but. Um, but it would be really nice to, uh, you know, for the Giants to to take that away from the Eagles in in Week 18. A game, by the way, that will be 4:25 on Sunday. The NFL finally set their their Week 18 schedule, so that's a 4:25 game on Sunday. So you guys can can plan your your viewing activity for the season finale. But really, Tony, the the, the long term question the long-term thing about this game this is going to be the last game for a lot of Giants players and a lot of Giants coaches talk about coaching staff could be the last game for Wink Martindale could be the last game for all three coordinators depending on on the situation I know a couple of assistant coaches have already got opportunities elsewhere could be other assistant coaches who who move on um could be a lot of players who aren't with the Giants next year. And that list is topped by Saquon Barkley because we don't know what's going to happen. That list includes Xavier McKinney because he's a free agent. That includes Paris Campbell, who has been inactive now for several weeks. It might include Justin Pugh. It might include Ben Bredesen. It might include a Dory Jackson. It's, it's a lot of players and a lot of potential turnover coming for um, for the Giants in uh, it, this coming off season. Just you know, quickly, just your thoughts about 
you know, some of the players, some of the coaches, some of the decisions that the Giants have to make this offseason? Yeah, you know, I think uh, so. One of the things I notice about myself, and I think maybe any fan would identify this, is that is that you have no control over what your immediate reaction to the result of a close game is you know your 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 brain and your body are going to react the, the way they're going to to react and so i've noticed this now for two weeks first when when tarad could not complete the uh, or could not find a guy open really for for a, a pass in the end zone to win the game against philadelphia the previous week and then yesterday when crosby's 54 yard field goal attempt went went wide left uh and my initial reaction in that you know millisecond after you realize that that's the result is you know oh damn they lost another one and then what i find myself doing is like one second later saying but there's 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 a better draft position <laughs> so so <laughs> you know so so i think i think we a lot of us have been kind of you know, teetering uh, uh, between between wanting to see the team win and do and do well with the players they have, and and acknowledging that they really need right uh, a lot of help in a lot of places. So, I think uh, the players, you know, you mentioned I, I, as far as Ben Bredesen goes, uh, I would I would I would say that Bredesen is good enough to be a backup tackle or a backup. I'm sorry, backup uh, guard. Uh, or even center on the team, but he shouldn't be, he's not good enough to start. And really, if you look at their offensive line, you know, who is good enough to start on that offensive line? Clearly, besides Andrew Thomas, um, John Michael Schmitz, you've got to give him obviously more time. He's a, he's a rookie center. He came in under difficult circumstances with very little help and all kinds of chaos surrounding him uh the fact is though i mean he hasn't had the greatest rookie season it's not like he's he's come in and and just dominated there at center i've seen him i've seen him make good blocks especially on some running plays i think he's very active i think he he looks for work on the offensive line you know he doesn't just make one block and then just watch the play he goes looking for other guys he can block so you know i kind of like what i see from him in in run blocking I haven't convinced myself yet that that he can be an NFL caliber pass blocker. I see him get beat a lot on on pass rushes, but he's a rookie, and I think that's a, a position that takes some time to to uh, you know really get acclimated to. But uh, but so let's say yeah you know, between him and Andrew Thomas, let's say you've got two guys on the offensive line. I think the other three positions on the line are completely up for grabs next season. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Xavier McKinney. I think the, the safety position is kind of up for grabs, uh, next season. Uh, you know, who knows, who knows what, what is going to happen to, to McKinney. I, I still feel like overall, except for a, a stretch of a few games, he had a very impactless le- uh, season. Um, I mean, I, you know, I watch, I watch other safeties out there, you know, Winfield, um, um, uh, uh, Dane Belton, yeah, yeah, right. Dane Belton, right. I mean, yeah, we talked about you know Dane Belton, and uh, you know, you look at like at Hamilton, who, who was a first round draft pick for the Ravens, but he's really come on uh this season for them. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't see them getting that kind of impact from from McKinney ever since Wink got here, so that's that's another question mark. I, I, 
I'm I'm not sure that they don't need another cornerback. I mean, do they really have? I I, yeah, I think Ted Banks showed a lot of promise this year. I don't think he had as good a rookie season as some Giants fans seem to think he had. Uh, he you know he 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 wasn't getting beaten consistently, but on the other hand, by midseason teams looked like they were starting to to get a little bit of a book on it. But I but I still think he's he's promising and 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 he'll be he'll be the clear CB one next year, but. You know who's CB two next season for the Giants? I have no idea who CB two is. Uh, Trey Hawkins isn't even getting on the field other than special teams now in most games, and uh, I don't think Adoree's going to be back. Even though the last couple of weeks he's he's made a couple of good plays for him because he also made an awful play yesterday, a play he he should have tackled uh, Puka Nakua and it looked like he was trying to strip the ball instead, and Nakua got free of him and went eighty yards. Uh, you know who and Nick McLeod wound up playing the entire game at the boundary corner, which was which was fine, you know. But but I don't know that you want him to be your starter either. So I think you've got questions there. I think uh, they still have questions on the interior defensive line. I mean they you know they've got they've got some possible guys there, but does that look like a, a defensive line that's going to be rock solid against the run going into the future? I can't say that I have faith in that. Um, we have no idea what the edge situation is going to be next year opposite Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, because again, I didn't see Aziz Ojolari doing a lot yesterday. Uh, Jihad Ward made, made, uh, had one sack, uh, but I, I believe they need help at edge. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of, of questions and naturally the biggest question of all is the quarterback question and how they're going to, to staff the quarterback room next season. And that's all up for grabs. And I think a lot of that depends on where they wind up in the in the draft and who's there when they do pick and what Joe Shane and his scouts think of the various quarterback prospects. And so I think the Giants enter next season with a with a ton of question marks. Absolutely. And we have we have one more game to go. Obviously, Eagles game Sunday at MetLife Stadium and as I said it sure would be nice to uh, to end the season with a with a victory over the Eagles, send the Giants off uh, into the offseason, finally having uh, yeah, having sort of broken that that hex that the Eagles seem to have over them. Although, you know, meaningless for the for the overall results this season, but it would be nice anyway to uh, to win that game and and deny the Eagles an NFC East title. Yeah, and and the Eagles are. I mean, exhibit A in in how unpredictable the NFL is from year to year. I mean, I, they haven't they haven't had the belly flop that the Giants had this year. They're still a good team, but this is a team that's that's collapsing late in the season. And I mean, they they just don't look good out there. I mean, for over a month now, they haven't looked good, and it looked like if anything, their personnel was was stronger. Uh, this year uh, than it was last season. And yet that hasn't wound up being the case at all. And, you know, whether it's, uh, I mean, I think people thought that they might miss Shane Steichen when he left to become head coach of the Colts, but I think people were kind of dismissive of Jonathan Gannon and figured the defense would just roll along with, with whoever they, they brought in there. But things got so bad under Sean Desai that he was, that he was basically demoted in favor of Matt Patricia, who, who, you know, didn't do a great job when he was with the lions and, uh, and te- you know, teams are moving the ball on them. 
uh, you know, and uh, you just can't predict these things. One of the things that really amazes me is that the Arizona Cardinals, one of the worst teams in the league, have beaten both the Eagles and the Cowboys this season, you know, and how, how do you, how do you figure that out? So the NFL is just an amazingly unpredictable league. And I think that tells us that it's such a delicate balance of things that can either make a season, you know, go, go up or, or go down. And last year, things went up, pointed up for the Giants this year, things point down. The reality of the Giants, I bet is somewhere in between those two extremes. And the just question is what can you get the arrow pointing up again next season? Honestly, I think that if you flipped the two seasons with the, that the Giants have had under Brian Dable, you know, five and twelve right now, and you know, nine seven and one, ten eight and one, if you if you consider the playoffs, if you flipped those two seasons, I think people would feel really good about the direction of the Giants. I think overall in two years, what is that? 15, 15 20 and one at this point under Brian Dable, which is better than they had been in the five-year period, you know, previous to that. So you flip those two years, people feel good. And you're right. I mean, the Giants haven't been good, but, and, and they're, and the, some of the close games they've lost yesterday against the Rams, the game against the Jets, the game against the Bills, you, you flip those games. And even though they haven't been good, that's an eight win season right now. That's that's you know cusp of, of the playoff race with a chance to go to Philly and get to nine wins and, and maybe and maybe sneak into the playoffs again. So the the margin for error in the NFL is so small. And and I think that's why when I look at the season overall, Tony, I look at and I've written about this at Big Blue View, it's just frustrating because I don't want to say every decision was a mistake, but there are so many decisions that have been made from from 90-man roster decisions to game management decisions that, that we've talked about a little bit. So many decisions that I was like, why did they do it that way? Or so many decisions that just, even if you thought they were right, they didn't work out the way that that you thought they would. So it's just been that kind of year for the Giants. Yeah, yeah. and uh, as I say, yeah, it's such a delicate balance. You, you can't, you, you just can't predict what's going to happen, even even from week to week. I mean, I was sitting there watching Green Bay absolutely dismantle Minnesota last night, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, the Giants and Tommy DeVito beat Green Bay a few weeks ago. You know, they look, but Green Bay looks like world beaters against a few of the other teams. They beat Kansas City early. And look at, and look at Kansas City. Kansas City now looks like this extremely vulnerable team because they don't have reliable wide receivers uh, you know, now. And so, you know, it's it, it's such a delicate balance, I think, for, for one team and another team. Uh, you know, the 49ers have looked great most of the season, and then Baltimore comes in and just wipes the floor with them. And Baltimore now looks looks like an unbeatable uh, team. They they really rolled it up against Miami. Yet yet a, a few weeks ago, the Rams almost beat Baltimore in Baltimore, and the Rams looked like anything but world beaters to me against the Giants yesterday. I mean, I I, I watched that Rams team. And I said, God, this team's going to make the playoffs, and they do not look like a playoff team to me. As much as I respect Matthew Stafford, I think that team has a lot of holes. 
holds still on it. So I think there's a there's a there's a fine line that divides success from failure in the NFL. I agree with you. There are a lot of head scratching decisions that that Dable made, that Shane made. I hope he I hope he learns. I hope Shane learned something this season about how to construct an offensive line room in particular, because it seemed like he didn't. He didn't have a good plan for for what would happen if things started to go go wrong with injuries and things like that. And uh, uh, I, I just, you know, uh, other teams seem to be able to find guys that they can plug in when starters get injured. And and he didn't seem to have that. And so, you know, is there a problem with their scouting? Can you can you place all of the blame on Bobby Johnson? You just get a new offensive line coach and things will be better. You know, what what's the answer there? And and and. Uh, I think that's his biggest. I mean, obviously, the biggest question is going to be quarterback. But, but frankly, I think his biggest challenge is is how do you construct an offensive line room that that is at least just competent, if not good. Well, if he can solve it, he'll be the uh, you know Jerry Reese couldn't solve it. Dave Gettleman couldn't solve it. Shane hasn't been able to solve it yet. But, but so much revolves around that, and and I'm sure that. Uh, that we will spend a ton of time in the offseason talking about that, talking about quarterback, talking about all of the uh, the questions. It's going to be a long, entertaining, important offseason for the Giants. But uh, one more game to go, Tony. And uh, as always, thank you for, uh, for the time, for the insight, for the opinions, and uh, go enjoy your New Year's Day. Giants fans, uh, thank you as always for listening. Please stay safe out there, take care of each other, and enjoy watching some college football today, too. All right. Bye-bye.